Hey, this is Dave Ferner from Soul Asylum, and you are listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 125. My name is Brando, and if you follow along on on Twitter and Facebook, you may have noticed I have not put out a new episode in two weeks. What's quite amazing in the, and I believe it was just a three-year anniversary of this podcast. I just, I didn't acknowledge it. I don't know. I just, I don't like self-congratulatory things. It's not like I did anything. I like to be congratulated when I get a guest or after a good episode, but not just for simply doing it. Uh, but I thought, I can't believe this has never happened before. I just couldn't hammer down a guest last week we had so many yeses and including the yes that's coming up in just a few minutes dave perner of soul asylum i had so many yeses and just waiting for it to all come to fruition and and if you if you listen in real time and i know it's a podcast you can listen to this however whenever you want but in real time we have three interviews coming up this week so we got dave perner soul asylum coming up in just a few minutes uh then tomorrow as we're uh, recording this, uh, what is today's date? I probably should know this. It is uh, June 10th. Uh, we're interviewing the the writers of the new Looney Tunes. And you're like, what? what? Of course, if you're a GNR fan, you know Axl Rose was in Looney Tunes. I mean, I have no problem talking cartoons with anybody. But here, we, we through our GNR or our Guns N' Rose colored glasses that we look through, uh, we're going to interview the guys who wrote a cartoon for Axl Rose and a song for him coming up. And also, uh, Carrie Kelly from Slash's Snake Pit also this week. So, so much to get to. But those are later episodes. Let's talk about this one. And before Dave, this is one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast for over three years. And that's just the involvement of you, the listener. Because if I was just talking to myself, talking to five people... Even if it was just listeners from maybe New York, I may not have had I may not have the same enthusiasm towards this. But the fact that we can get uh, listeners co-host this show like Ray from the UK, or uh, Sir Kev from Ireland, or Remco from the Netherlands, all over, and now we go to Divya from India. It almost rhymes. Welcome, Divya. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brando. And uh, I can congratulate you on this very special episode. I didn't realize it was your 125th, so congratulations on that. I'm so excited to be a part of such a landmark episode. I'm really glad that you are a part of this, because when I you know, announced that Dave was coming on the show, and I said, you know what, this might be a good episode to have a, a co-host on. And we got a lot of people excited, but there was just something, because I have no rules as far as you have to answer these riddles to be my co-host, it's just kind of whatever strikes me. So you just had a over-the-top, oh, my God. Um, so I, I'm really honored that you're proud to be a part of it because your comment was just so, I don't know, it was funny. It was, um, I want to bring it up before we, we call Dave. I don't want to have the exact thing. Uh, you wrote, 
Brandon, please, for the love of God, pick me to co-host. I'll pitch myself to you in a minute. Right now, my heart is beating too wildly, and I feel sick. And I responded, because you didn't say anything after. And I'm like, I, I hope you're still alive. <laughs> and, and then we just picked up a private message. And uh, you were just a total sweetheart. And we're going to learn more about you after we speak with Dave, because you have a really cool uh, Guns N' Roses story. Oh, and by the way, to all the listeners, and, and uh, Divya is aware, I'm getting over allergies. So I have, like, coughing fits. So I'm going to tr- – which is perfect to do for a podcast, by the way. So if you hear clanking, that's uh, my halls, just so you know. Did you like that sound effect? Did you – Is that or is that weird? Yeah. <laughs> you add new ones every episode. So. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be as good as – pretty radical. It's rad. It was so rad. That's the uh, the rad rainbow. I guess I'll start calling that. Every guest we can see if we can get them to say rad. We'll see if Dave does it. Um, but Divya, just what I like talking about with other guests in other parts of the country is how Guns N' Roses came into their life. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Also, you're a part of, um, well, it's, it was defunct, and now it's back, a big Guns N' Roses group. And here we've talked about just how a lot of fan pages have been shut down. So we have a lot of really interesting stuff to talk to you specifically about. But first, let's get Dave on the phone. Are you nervous? Are you okay? Are you going to be all right? Are going to have fun? Yes. Yes. All of the above. <laughs> awesome. So let me call him right now. The anticipation. Hello? Hello. Is this Dave? Yeah. Hey, Dave. This is Brando from the iHeart podcast, Appetite for Distortion. Cool, man. So, Dave, before anything, what I like to do uh, with this podcast, because you have so many fans out there that may not work in radio like I do, so I want to make sure I give other people opportunities. So on the line with us is a fan of yours. Uh, Her name is Divya, and she's Skyping all the way from India just to talk to you. Wow. You could say hi, Divya. Hi, Dave. (laughs) Hey, I can't believe it. I can't believe I can talk to someone in India. I've never been to India. I hear it's Awesome. Great. I hope you come sometime. And um, I'm so happy to be able to have the chance to tell you that you have diehard fans on the other side of the world in India as well. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to get there. I hope it's sooner than later. That would be amazing. See, that's the beautiful part of what I do, Dave. I mean, maybe if you, uh, you're able to tell from the podcast name, it's I like to. I don't like to call it maybe a Guns N' Roses podcast. It's just instead of it being a generic rock and roll show, we just look at everything through uh, GNR colored glasses, and we get to meet people all over the world. So that's how I'm able to meet people like Divya, and we've had, I've had other listeners on from other countries talk to their rock and roll heroes and have that opportunity because uh, someone like you has just been an inspiration to so many people. If we can just kind of get into it. Um, and again, thank you for your time because you're, you're currently recording. What are you up to right now? What are you working on? Well, right now I'm working on a book, and uh, we are 22 songs completed for the next record. And, uh, yeah, we were just in the studio a couple days ago uh, finishing some things up, and uh, we're going to be playing all summer long. You know? oh, that's incredible because I saw a bunch of dates on your the website for, for next month. Um, I'm assuming you're going to be adding to that as we go along? Yeah. We'll probably tour the record in the fall. I'm go ass- out for a long time. I'm assuming, uh, are you going to keep the 22 songs, or are you going to kind of whittle it down? How does that process work for you? 
Yeah, we're kind of in the process of picking 11. So there's twice as many as we need, but hopefully there's there's 11 good ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And I'm curious, what's the, what's the book? Um, are you writing the next Harry Potter, or is it more probably about your life? It's... Uh, <laughs> I wish I was writing the next Harry Potter. Hmm. Uh, it is a collection of my lyrics from back in the very beginning to today. Uh, so it's just it's a book of lyrics, basically. Okay. What made you decide to, to do that? Because, of course, so many people in your position have put out, you know, books, whether it's an autobiography, it's a tell-all, but... You know, that's a lot. That's probably one of the major comments that I got when I announced that I was interviewing you, that you are one of the best lyricists out there. So I'm sure a lot of fans are excited to have your, you know, your lyrics right, you know, in the palm of their hand. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it does seem like a lot of people are coming out with books now and a lot of stuff about the Minneapolis music scene back when I was coming up and a lot of memoirs that. Uh, just kind of, I, I don't, I mean, I personally don't like reading about people being on the road because I'm on the road way too much anyways. But uh, it, it, people were asking me if I wanted to write a book, and I said, how about just a book of lyrics? And they liked that idea, and uh, it suits me uh, just fine because if it's, if I ain't expressing myself in my lyrics, I'm in trouble, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, in a way, the lyrics are an autobiography, in a way, so you kind of are putting yourself out there. Is there anything new, or are they just old lyrics and you're just putting them all together for fans to have? Well, we intend to have the lyrics from the record that is coming out this fall in there, so it'll be, you know, everything that's ever been released. Oh. And... uh and then we're doing kind of, you know, I have to do some prefacing of, I'm, I'm just doing some, I don't even know what you call it. I'm talking about the songs a little bit, and we're sort of writing some adages just to sort of explain what was going on when the songs were written. and Okay. Things like that. And yeah, it can be pretty emotional for me because it's like having to relive, you know, my high school years or whatever you know, I don't know. There's a lot of sort of emotion in the songs that uh, I, I forget it's there until I start reading it, and then I get, I get a little choked up sometimes. But uh, it's interesting to see how it's changed over the years, I suppose. Hmm. Is there anything that maybe that surprised you going back with the lyrics? Because that's, that's cool that you're still, of course, emotionally tied to what you went through, but... I mean, I'm, I can speak for in my life. Maybe I look back and, you know, hey, that was sad. But you may not feel sad, but you're still feeling it, which is it says a lot about you and the emotion you initially put into it. Yeah, it was uh, a little nerve wracking. We worked on it a lot yesterday, and after we quit, I just I had to listen to Joni Mitchell and Muhammad Ali just to get my confidence back or, or my perspective back or something. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Do you normally do that? Do you normally search for inspiration to get your confidence back? Especially, you know, Joni Mitchell and Muhammad Ali. It's not like you're listening to music for both, but to hear... I mean, were you watching his fights? 
I was watching an interview with uh, Cassius Clay before he changed his name and Jerry Lewis, oh. and it was just really, uh, Jerry Lewis was just really disrespectful, mm. and he really made Muhammad Ali mad, and uh, <laughs> he was really showing a lot of restraint. You know, he goes on this guy's talk show, and basically Jerry Lewis kind of lays into him, and it's just really disrespectful and I just think he's one of the greatest athletes and orators of our time if you will well of course and I'm glad that didn't deter you from doing this interview don't worry <laughs> all respect from here we're only we're only gonna have fun I don't know about Divya she she ha- she seems a little evil I don't know <laughs> I am uh, so excited and I can't believe that I'm hearing this fresh first from Dave Panna because my questions were actually related to your lyrics because um, you're like one of my songwriting heroes and you're such an inspiration Um, and I did want to ask you a bit about your lyrics um, because I am very interested from a a craft perspective in uh, storytelling so I know uh, even in like recent interviews you have uh, spoken about you know the musical aspect of your creative process uh, shifting from analog to digital and stuff like that but I was wondering if you could uh, shed some light on your creative process with specific respect to your lyrics Uh, well uh, I guess I started out you know, with nursery rhymes, and <laughs> then I started kind of read poetry, and then, you know, I was listening to the radio a lot as a kid, and as I got older, I started listening to uh, the people that I, I really sort of respect the most as, as writers, such as Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and... Uh, Lou Reed and uh, once the punk rock bug sort of bit me uh, I realized that I I could write about anything I wanted really it was a a very open-ended sort of thing because punk rock is to me uh, an opportunity to be creative without being extremely talented (laughs) so I had to make transition from playing the trumpet to uh, being in a punk rock band. But that's when the writing really began. And I just sort of try to uh, absorb everything and process it into something that hopefully, uh, if it works out, I will feel good about singing it. Because I don't want to sing, I don't want to sing a dumb song. If it, I mean, if, if people like it and I don't like it, I'm in trouble. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fairly complex bunch of emotions that are drawn from uh, whatever it is that uh, is getting me angry or making me happy or whatever the case may be. Um, and yeah, you know, I, uh, I learned about the, the poets in uh, high school and that was uh, kind of got me going in a direction. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's a struggle but it's just something that i feel like i have to do someone whose lyrics obviously are so important to you even you know you joke and i know what you're saying how you know with punk you can get away with maybe not having the the specific talent but you have it uh that 25 years later that runaway train is still such a just a massive song such an important song 
you know, especially lyrically more than anything else. I mean, is that something you ever set out to do, you know, when you were growing up in, in Minneapolis that, you know, I want to write a song that's going to live on forever? Or were you just doing it for, for fun and see where it would go? Well, I mean, I think that the idea is to create something that, that is timeless, um, at least for me, and uh, you know, indelible in a way that it it resonates. And uh, I, I guess, I mean, no, I wasn't really thinking about anything other than just writing songs like I usually do. And uh, I, I think it's a particularly uh, raw emotion. And uh, you know, it's just not it's not like everything else that you might hear on the radio as far as it, you know, it's not a song about dancing or partying or having sex or whatever. It's, uh, it's a little more personal than that. And I, you know, I just, I think people identify with it because, because I'm not afraid to talk about my feelings. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's so important. And that's something that I really try to do as a, as a radio host what separates me? Because just like with you, I don't want to be a shock jock that talks about, uh, you know, the whole Howard Stern round. That's just not, that's not me. So I talk about mental health. I talk about depression uh, on on this podcast all again through that that lens that we we do it through. Um, then for your song, yeah, okay, maybe it's not played on certain radio stations you'll hear on classic rock or whatever. However. Popular shows like The Voice, and in addition to Divya, we're going to sprinkle in some fan questions that we got for, for you. Uh, so this is from uh, K Wicker, uh, K Wickers 2 on Twitter. Runaway Train was uh, played on The Voice, uh, so it was covered, and it received so much love. Did you uh, see that performance? Because that's obviously a very, very popular show with millions of viewers, and that's, you know, then, that's your song. You know, somebody chose your song to, pl- to, to sing on The Voice. I did watch it. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, the funniest part is the judges trying to figure out who the song is by. And, you know, I think Adam Levine said we're underrated. And I just thought that whole thing was just really funny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought the guy, I don't remember the gentleman's name that was singing the song, but I, I thought he did a great job. <laughs> That's cool. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Adam gave you uh, some sort of props underrated. But, I mean, was that surreal? Is that something that you need to be notified? I'm always curious about that. Like, to be covered. With all the copyright stuff that's out there, do you need to be notified that someone's going to cover it on a major ne- network television show? No. Okay. I mean, they, I, no, I was totally unaware of it. And, uh, and they... No, I mean, I, 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 I no, <laughs> I don't think I was notified by Weird Al Yankovic either, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it depends on what they're using the music for, so, you know, obviously. What about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I'm not sure if you watched that show. I found this Soul Asylum tape, and I totally talked the guy down to, like, half the asking price. That, I remember giving permission for use because... I got the page. I think I had read the page of the script that uh, where the song was going to appear, and I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> and I didn't see it till years later, and it, and it, it's funny. I mean, I there's there's uh, reasons people want to use certain songs, and you know, if if it's a, a respectful sort of situation, it's 
it's fun to be involved in. You know, I, I love working with Kevin Smith, and he's going to use another song in his next movie. And uh, it's yeah, it's pretty cool just to sort of be a part of any creative project, I suppose. Well, that's great. And actually, that was another question. This was sent in by Mike Smith. I don't think there's any relation. I was just curious about your work with with Kevin, who thankfully is is still with us, who uh, famously had that. I don't know, the, the Widowmaker heart attack, and he lost so much weight, but now he's, he's just doing great. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are still working together. Yeah, Kevin is great. He's just so fun to be around, and he's such a funny guy. And, uh, yeah, I'm always flattered when he comes back. And he loves – he's used – I scored the movie Chasing Amy, and he uses the introduction music. He's used it in – I think he used it in the first Jay and Silent Bob movie, and it, it sort of evokes a certain time, I think, for Kevin and uh, for his characters. So it, it's cool to be sort of somehow intertwined with the rise of Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> yeah, and he's putting out the second one. That's that's amazing. Then. I'm, I'm curious, how did you guys uh, meet? How did that for, that friendship formulate? Well, believe it or not, I was at a party in Los Angeles, and none other than Harvey Weinstein came up to me mm. and said, hey, man, you should really think about doing the music for Kevin Smith's next movie. And I said, really, I would love to. And he said, okay. And the following Monday, I got a call from his office, and uh, I met up with Kevin, and we hit it off really well and found a guy to engineer it, and I recorded it all by myself. I mean, I'm playing all the music, and uh, I got to play the picture, which is something that I really enjoy doing. So I'm watching the scene from the movie and sort of flushing it out on the piano or whatever instrument it is and kind of trying to give, I suppose, a, a bit of a, well, it's a soundtrack, <laughs> obviously. Um, and then just going through the idea of what is incidental music uh, is fascinating to me. Uh, so, you know, they tell me where, to, where they needed music, and, and I just write these pieces of music that went often under dialogue so you gotta leave room for the dialogue so it's kind of like the actors become the singer in my head anyways and the music is there to sort of support the the, I guess the emotional tone of whatever is going on in the scene Um, it was a really fun experience and uh, I, I love I love doing soundtrack work I think I discovered that if I really wanted to pursue it, I I probably would have to live in Los Angeles and, you know, be going to the right parties or putting my resumes in or whatever. I don't know. It's, uh, it's something I love doing, but I, I don't, you know, go out and look for work. Well, I'm assuming because you, you love touring uh, too much, right, to kind of park yourself in L.A. and you know, kind of go with the job route interviews and, and you know, uh, apply for things? Am I, am I assuming correctly you just love being in a band too much? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I took a film scoring class through uh, ASCAP, and uh, the first day of the class, the the teacher said, "Well, how many people have directed an orchestra?" And everybody's hand went up, but mine. And I was like, "Oh God, I'm you know I'm the person in the room that is the least experienced." Um, so I learned a lot. I learned a lot really quickly, and uh, and it's just God. Then the next thing I knew, I was in the studio with an orchestra, and you know, watching the whole you know the movies on the screen, and they got a hundred musicians in a room, and it's just it's really cool. Um, so you know, it's yeah, the, the Hollywood hustle is really not for me. Hmm. Um, I lived in New Orleans for 16 years, and that's sort of more my speed, if you will. The music is very organic and uh, very unspectacularized in a way that you can get caught up in the the glitter, if you will, of Hollywood. Sure. And that reminds me, because uh, I believe when the only time that, uh, for Divya, the only time that GNR came to India was with the... The other version of Guns N' Roses with Tommy Stinson, right? You saw him live, Divya? I, is that the version you saw? Oh, I didn't go. <laughs> oh, you didn't go. You just said they My came. My friends were shocked. Anyone who knew me was so shocked that Axl Rose has come to town and I didn't go. Oh, okay. Well, that was my, my segue, Dave, into... Because uh, uh, Tommy has been a guest on the show a couple times. And I love the fact that Tommy doesn't... like He doesn't live in L.A. He lives in upstate New York. You know, because he lives in an apartment building because he's salted the earth. So I would love to hear about, you know, Tommy. Um, well, I, I, maybe I should phrase it how you, you held up the shirt on your social media. Uh, who the fuck is Tommy Stinson? So how did how did uh, your friendship with Tommy kind of facilitate in his time in the band? I've known Tommy since he wasn't even in high school yet. Wow. So I was in high school and he was a buddy of my, how does this go? My friend's brother. And there was a rumor that Tommy dated my sister, but he, he sorted that out. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love hanging out with him. He's always just been a great musician, a great collaborator. And, uh, a really fun guy. He just came through Minneapolis. I just was talking to him like a week ago. Oh, cool! And uh, it was a it was a family affair. I mean, the people at Tommy's show. It was like I knew everybody in the audience. Um, so it was uh, well, it was good to see everybody, and uh, it was a lot of getting caught up. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping Tommy will come out with us this fall and maybe open for us uh, solo acoustic, which is what he was doing uh, at First Avenue the other night. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just great. I mean, he's a really fun person to be around and a really fun person to make music with. Oh, I hope that happens because, yeah, he was uh, opening. I mean, he played with the Lemonheads for a little bit, but then he started to open for them and yeah, he's just somebody else who loves being on the road and it's totally nice guy. So that's great to hear that uh, you guys are still so close and it is like a like a family. 
Um, another, I guess, question. We, I mean, I don't know how often you get asked this, being from Minnesota. Uh, did you have a relationship, a friendship with Prince? Interaction, work with him? Any? Uh, can you speak to that at all? Sure. I mean, my drummer Michael Bland played with Prince for years, and uh, I would run into Prince on at out at First Avenue uh, at a restaurant at a uh, particularly at Paisley Park because we would work out there and he'd just be walking down the hallway and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? And I saw him backstage at a Cheryl Crow, a small Cheryl Crow concert and I got to have kind of a, a nice conversation with him where I just was telling him that I, I think it's great what he's done for Minnesota musically and how he put us on the map in a lot of ways. And uh, he did this kind of thing that he does, this like shy smile thing. But <laughs> basically I, I got a chance to tell him, you know, how much respect I have for him before, before he died. And, uh, and that was a nice thing. So yeah, he, did really have a presence in Minneapolis that sometimes we'd be playing in the 7th Street Entry, which is the small uh, bar next to 1st Avenue, and he'd, he'd walk through the back door with an entourage of people and just go right through the middle of my crowd. And that kind of pissed me off. <laughs> but uh, whatever, you know, he had this huge bodyguard and... Uh, yeah, you know, and he'd come in and he'd sit in. Yeah, not with me, but he'd go, he'd just go to First Avenue and get up on stage and start playing with some other band's gear. And, you know, he, he was around. He was, uh, yeah, he's always pretty much stayed connected to Minnesota in a nice in a nice way. Well, I'm glad you got to have that uh, that moment with him uh, for sure. Uh, Divi was telling me off the air that you thought of some. If you still have them, the the unique what was it the six degrees of Guns N' Roses bacon that we do the connections that Soul Asylum has to GNR because she really did her homework as my co-host Dave. Uh, can you remind uh, remind me what those were those connections? Yes. So if you draw like the Venn diagram of Soul Asylum and GNR and see when they overlap. Uh, there's, of course, the Tommy Stinson connection. Then there's also uh, the fact that you uh, guys stood together and opened for them in 93. And uh, there's also some really uh, interesting connections via Izzy Stradlin because Joey Huffman played for you guys in, like, the 90s. And he's also worked with Izzy Stradlin, uh, as well as Steve Jordan, who has uh, who produced and the horse they rode in on and he also kind of um he's worked with um keith richards on the expensive winos and uh, izzy and the juju hounds also uh, toured with uh, and opened for the expensive winos so they're like all of these connections in the and overlap in the venn diagrams does that amaze you that it's all the connections and uh, i'm impressed thank you for divya I, I, you're my producer and co-host yeah. for the day <laughs> It amazes me that her research is so good. I, I didn't even know that Izzy Stradlin opened for Keith Richards. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. I, I'm very impressed with the, uh, the research there. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a research student, actually. <laughs> but is there anything you could tell us about uh, Joey Huffman or Steve Jordan? Though I know you... Um, 
left A&M. So if you don't want to go there, that's fine. But if you'd like to tell us something about Joey Huffman and what it was like working with him. It's fine. I mean, Joey toured with us for many years, and he's a dear friend, and I, I just mm-hmm. love the guy. Um, we've been sort of talking about getting back together with him, but we kind of oh wow the keyboard player these days. Um, but I went out and I played a benefit for him. He had, uh, I think, I something bad happened to his eyes, some sort of an eye cancer problem. And uh, he asked, or his friends asked me to come out to Kentucky, where he's from, and uh, play a benefit. And uh, it was fascinating. I mean, it was a part of Kentucky that I had not been in, where people all have their own stills, and they all grow their own weed, and uh, it's very kind of independent of, uh, you know, they have all these hollers that people live in and that they don't really mix with the outside world. No. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I still run into Joey, and uh, he's just a, he's a lovely, lovely gentleman. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a southern cat, so he's from Atlanta. And... Uh, it's kind of you can tell that in his in his style of playing. Uh, but he's an incredibly versatile uh, keyboard player and uh, a really funny guy, a fun guy to be around. Uh, uh-huh. Steve Jordan uh, is a mentor, I think. He you know produced the horse record and really sort of came down on the band as far as teaching us how to be better at what we were doing um so he has this passion for for rock and roll in a way that i, I would almost say is sort of a purist kind of an angle to it where the player is important and whoever's playing the music has to sort of step up to the plate i guess i just did a rolling stone tribute thing with steve jordan at the rock and roll hall of fame and uh it's like you know, we get together and it's just like old times, sort of. Um, he's just really funny, and uh, I don't know, he's an amazing musician. And uh, yeah, he put this band together, and we all played Rolling Stone songs. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's great. And that's something else we talk about on this podcast is the friendships. I mean, we can all geek out about the music forever, but it's the friendships that create this uh this wonderful path that you guys have have been on that you've been on um and it's awesome just to hear that maybe that people might not be in the band anymore that the friendship and the bonds are still there and that's a lot of that's what we focus on of course in the gnr world um maybe not so much currently because there is some sort of reunion uh that has happened but leading up to it um because people as you know they they pass away and you may not get a second chance and I, I can't uh, imagine the amount of times that you have to deal with that. So it's it's special that you are holding on to these friendships, regardless of where the music is. Yes, I, sadly, uh, we lost Dr. John the day before yesterday, and mm-hmm. uh, he was a bit of a, a mentor to me. And like the first forty-five I bought was right place, wrong time. And I moved to New Orleans, of course, sixteen, seventeen years, and he's just a a part of the fiber down there and uh yeah it made me very sad you will be missed 
Oh, for sure. I mean, legendary. I mean, when as soon as I got into classic rock radio, even though his music isn't on, cla- shamefully, not on classic rock radio as much as it should be, when they had the right program director, they told me all about Dr. John. Because I'm a little bit uh, younger, and Divi is the same age. We're 35-ish. Um, but still, just uh, just a major, major loss uh, to the music community, and especially New Orleans uh, community as well. Of course, we would be remiss because you've worked with so many people over the years. Do you recall the uh, the National Bowl um, opening up for Guns N' Roses and the Cult, uh, that show? And I, I believe you have got if you opened up maybe an, another time for GNR. Um, can you speak to any of those experiences with uh, with Guns N' Roses or any of those guys maybe well, in another environment? I think the one that I'm recalling was in England and. Suicidal Tendencies was also on the bill, um, and it was hilarious. I mean, the the, the roadies had a they they let all the kids in all the bands at the same time, and they all go running for the front of the stage, and the roadies had this tape on that was this guy going, "You in the black t-shirt, stop running," and. Half the you know everyone's wearing a black t-shirt. Right. So all these kids turn around and look behind them, and uh, that was one of the funniest things I've seen. Um, and then of course there's a helicopter that flies overhead, and everyone's like, "Oh, Axel's here," and just kind of funny things like that. We hung out a little bit, but uh, you know, mostly uh, mostly uh, they uh, we didn't see too much of. Of those guys, they were pretty much at the at the peak of their popularity, and uh, yeah, it was something else. It was uh, you know a spectacle kind of followed them around in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean it's rock and roll, you know. <laughs> For sure, because because um, that might have been another date. Because I'm looking at um, this was also in the UK. It was you, uh, obviously GNR, uh, Blind Melon. And the cult, and it's great because Blind Melon. I look at, I look at like Shannon Hoon and you in, in in this respect. You guys are so criminally underrated and undermentioned when it's when you we're talking about '90s alt rock voices, and lyricists. You know, of course, you know, deservedly so. You know, Chris Cornell and Kurt Cobain, um, you know, Scott Weiland, but. Do you feel at all, because you, you come off very humble, so maybe you, you may not be able to answer it. Do you feel that maybe you are underrepresented, maybe, when we talk about the, the glory days of, of 90s rock? I don't know. I mean, I don't worry about it too much. I, I, I just am very thankful to still be able to do it. I mean, I did hear yesterday that a certain artist a 17-year-old artist was charging $270 to get into her concert, and that just pissed me off. <laughs> That's <laughs> disgusting. And we, we've certainly paid our dues, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I do remember meeting Shannon at the Guns N' Roses gig, and that, that was, uh, yeah, we became friends. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of bittersweet sort of memories of being with, people that are no longer with us and that's uh, a, a sad sort of side effect of being involved in this business i guess 
How do you think you've survived? I mean, forgive me. And again, if you don't want to go too deep into it, and you know, I'm not going to overbear you with my story that I've talked about over these episodes, but me dealing with depression and addiction and you know, um, I, for me, I just think it's the fact that I have three younger brothers that have helped me stay afloat to, to get to a point in my career and relationships. Is there anything that maybe for you, uh, for the young musicians out there that don't charge <laughs> $700 or whatever it is to get into a show, but, you know, it's so like, how to survive the tough industry, this tough world that we're in, that you're still able to thrive and put out new material and uh, is there... I don't know, is there like a, a survival guide to, to rock and roll that maybe you, you think that you, you know, in your head that you kind of go by? Yeah, keep your expectations as low as possible. Hmm. And every now and then there might be a pleasant surprise, but we really just braced ourselves for the worst most of the time. And uh, when things do go right, it's more the exception than it is the way that, you know, everything doesn't always fall into place. As a matter of fact, it rarely does. So you really just kind of have to keep your head down and keep your nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and, and just keep on working and not be distracted by what's going on around you. I mean, patience is a big one for me. Persistence is a big one for me. You know, passion is probably the biggest one <laughs> you gotta have a sense of humor and if you can't laugh at yourself and you can't laugh at the absurdity of the situation that you're often presented with you're just in big trouble if you start taking yourself too seriously i don't know you're you're probably not going to be somebody that's fun to hang out with <laughs> yeah no i i completely agree uh right on uh, Dave, I know, again, you're, you're super busy, so I don't want to keep you forever. Uh, Divya, do you have any other questions while we have, you know, Dave on the line right now? Anything you want to say? Um, yes. Uh, my other question actually was a more specific one. Um, I'm getting, bringing it back to the lyrics because I really, really admire your songwriting and your lyrics. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about my favorite song, which is The Sun Made. And uh, I think it's just such a powerful critique on capitalism and your lyrics are so powerful and thought-provoking and I think maybe this is something that we would get to know in the book but if you don't mind giving us like a preview I would love to know um, a little bit about uh, how the song came about what you were thinking when you came up with the idea etc well uh, your analysis uh, is lovely <laughs> and Thank you for uh, spending so much time trying to understand what I'm thinking about. Um, it, you know, as far as the women's movement goes, I've always sort of been close to it. And just this idea of somebody who is, well, you know, you spend a lot of time in hotels and stuff, too. So there is also a... a, a brand of raisins called sun-made raisins and there's this one cover of the box of raisins and i'm like what is what is she the the keeper of the raisins <laughs> but uh yeah just that somebody is taking care of things and 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 often not being recognized uh is is something that i can identify with and something that you know you see all the time you 
see all these people doing all these jobs that you just can't imagine how they how they hold it down. But uh, you know, somebody's always doing something that you're probably taking for granted. And uh, I don't know, just this this image of this woman who takes care of the son and doesn't get any credit for it just seems uh, like a good metaphor for for some for for just everything for me, you know. Inspiration can come from anywhere, even from a, a box of raisins. I love it. It's yeah. like it's like a Seinfeld episode. I, I it's I love it so much. Uh, Dave, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me and, and Divya, of course, uh, today. And and best of luck. I'll, I'll end with the uh, one last fan question, which relates to what everything that you have coming up uh, with the tour. Uh, Norma wants to know if you're ever going to come to uh, Mexico City. She's been a fan since uh, Grave Dancers, and apparently you have a massive fan base down in Mexico, so they would love to have you down there. Yeah, we just played Guadalajara, and it was a blast. I mean, we have not spent nearly as much time in Mexico as I would like to. And uh, it was really cool to see that people knew the music. And, uh, you know, people were having a really good time. It was really fun. So I I enjoyed Mexico quite a bit, and I can't wait to get there again. Awesome. So we can check out uh, the current tour dates and ones to be added on soulasylum.com and when could we expect the? Would we expect the lyric book before the new album? How is that going to work? I think they're sort of trying to put it, put them out almost simultaneously. So That's cool. It'll kind of be happening at the same time. I'm trying to create as much noise as we can, I suppose. I think that's brilliant. Do you, do you think we'll get it this year or next? Do you have a, um, I don't want to rush the creative process, but when, when do you think uh, we might be able to you know, read and, and hear Soul Asylum? Well, we are shooting for the fall. So oh. the record and the book should be out this fall. Awesome. Dave, again, thank you so much. Can't thank you enough for your, for your time today. And just continued success. You you're, uh, continue to be an inspiration to many people. Yes. Well, thank you both. I, I enjoyed this interview and talking to Divi. I don't know if I'm saying your name right, but I hope that we can get to India. I would love to come and play India someday. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're on my bucket list, you know. Uh, uh, you have such an amazing voice, and there's so much of anguish and intensity in your voice. So just to hear it like this is not MTV, this is not YouTube, but to hear it live, that's one of my life goals. <laughs> and uh, I just want to, I can't believe that I have the opportunity to do this personally, but thank you so much for your music. And thank you so oh. much just for sharing your art with us and sharing your talent with us. It really means a lot to me. Well, I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Dave. All right, Brando. Thanks, man. You Have t- a great day. You too. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been an honor. Bye. Thank you. How was that? <laughs> <laughs> Divi, you did a great job, really. Uh, you, you did a great job. You were very comp- uh, You may not think so. You were very composed. Your questions were well thought out. It's much more than I do. I kind of just fake it and have a conversation but you you know you proved uh you know why you're getting a phd in in uh creative writing so you were you were great 
Congratulations. Oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much, Brando. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I want to say this on the air. You've been so generous and so inclusive with these opportunities. And um, yeah, thank you for being so fan friendly and so audience friendly. This really means a lot to me. This is not a day I'm going to ever forget. <laughs> And that means a lot to me. You know, um, I can say you're welcome, but it, it really is just a reciprocal, you know, thank you. Because just like how kind of Dave said, if it wasn't for fans, they wouldn't be a soul asylum. Uh, if it wasn't for listeners, people actually listening to this. I'm not doing this for my health. Um, yeah, I, I work in radio. I'm a professional. Um, but this is just what this might be the most fun project I've ever done in radio and that's because of people like you divya it's and you've given me the opportunity to speak to to dave perner i mean i i wouldn't have had you know if i if i had a listenership of five people these people wouldn't come on the show so it's awesome but uh now we gotta we gotta focus on you you're you're the second guest in in uh so kind of i i initially thought you had seen uh guns and roses when they came to india so you didn't go I didn't go because I was just so heartbroken when Axel announced the whole Chinese democracy thing. Really? You know, he absolutely broke me. He absolutely broke me with that. <laughs> so I was very, very tempted because I love Axel Rose. He's like, he's the love of my life. <laughs> um, all of my friends were so shocked that Axel Rose was in town and I didn't go. But it was just uh, 20% of the band and... Um, you know, that kind of like helped me to make my decision. I was very tempted. I was very, very tempted because I love Axel so much. And just like uh, Dave Perner, I love his voice and I love his songwriting a lot. So that was a very hard decision. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really, um, the original band means a lot to me. Mm. And I, the, the love and the loyalty that I owe to Axel, I owe to every single member in that band. So I didn't have the heart to go for that. Wow, no, that's I respect that. Uh, so, if not in this lifetime or whatever, this continuing thing, you know, I know they're just doing festival dates, and I keep forgetting if I said on the podcast that I'm going to uh, Austin City Limits. I've never been to Texas, uh, oh, wow. but I'm going to go see Guns N' Roses and uh, The Cure, uh, Mumford and Sons also playing Third Eye Blind. But I mean, I'm mainly traveling just to see. Uh, GNR, but if they came to India when it's slash Axel and Duff, is that enough for you, or you, you got to wait for the the original or the AFD five? I should say. I did, so I really freaked out and thought that life might not give me an, yet another opportunity. Okay. <laughs> and I did go. There was also a lot of buzz around the time that Izzy and Steven would be a part of the show. Right. And I. Uh, I, I applied for the like the membership and stuff, but I couldn't get into the pre-sale because there were a lot of technical glitches. So I ended up buying my uh, ticket on the uh, day of the uh, you know the, the general sale, and that fell on Izzy Stradlin's birthday. Huh. <laughs> so I was naive enough to think that that was a sign from the universe that hmm. Izzy was going to be there. And um, I, okay, this is really funny, but when I was at the show, every guy who had like dark hair uh, and vaguely looked like Izzy, like nobody actually looks like Izzy unless you're like Johnny Thunders or Keith Richards. I kept hallucinating that I was seeing Izzy all over the place <laughs> because I just couldn't believe that my childhood dream would kind of, uh, you know, in real life it's not it doesn't work out the way you planned it in your head for so long sure so i decided that um 60 percent 
was better than 20% and I might not get another chance. And I was really hopeful at that time that uh, Izzy and Steven would be there. So I did buy the ticket and I did go. But after that, after they spoke up, uh, I was again, I didn't think so. Uh, like, you know, when you're a teenager, your heart can really break in that kind of way and with a lot of intensity. And I didn't think it could break in middle age that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that really broke me as well, uh, hearing Steven and uh, Izzy's side of it. So since then, I haven't been comfortable attending any more shows. Okay. Now that that's I, I completely respect that. And I, I feel... You know, I would never get an opportunity. I probably, I'm sure I spoke about this in the earlier uh, episodes that, you know, Axl Rose was, nobody ever saw him. It was like he was a recluse for, for a decade. We really didn't know. And then when he came back with Buckethead and everything, I'm like, I just got to see Axl. You know, I just got to see, I just got to be in the room with this guy that I've been seeing on TV and listening to. And I, this may never happen again. And, of course, the tour was canceled, um, the show after mine. So I felt that maybe I did get the last chance to ever see Axel. Uh, and then I just thought I would never see him and Slash together. For me, just gr- growing up, that was like the duo for me. I, I love the AFD5, but it was Axel and Slash for me growing up. And just to see them on stage together again, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is great. But I, I completely get where you're, you're coming from. And that goes, again, why we do I do this podcast and invite people like you on. It's the emotional ties that we have to the music, to these people, to the band. And, and it shows you wherever you are in the world, it's the same. We all can feel the same kind of emotion towards the same kind of lyrics and music and why isn't yeah. there world peace? God damn it. We all... We all. <laughs> Music can bring the world together if anything can. I know. I know. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And um, something else that's been great bringing people together uh, from doing this podcast is to meet all the other uh, wonderful people who run other uh, Guns N' Roses fan sites. I mean, there's, a, there's mainly one other that's garbage. But there's uh, one... There, there was so many that were taken away. You know, with all the copyright stuff that happened, and uh, Mitch Lafon posted something. I'm glad that uh, the record label got back to him because he had a Brett Michaels video from two years ago that was taken down, and this person actually took the time to write to Mitch and saying, you know, what we all say, the whole Napster thing. These people are, you know, it's, it's their art; they own it. You know, even if it's a fan video, it's weird. Uh, so that is part of the story, uh, but we also know part of the story that. That some of them have been targeted uh, by some rogue fans. Uh, and I think that happened with the website that you worked on and you're rebuilding. Uh, what, tell, tell me about that, because I, I know I mentioned it on an episode a while ago. Yes, and uh, thank you for your support uh, when our page did get deleted. So we had um, Appetite for Guns and Fucking Roses was our page both on Twitter and on Facebook. And it was one of the pages that got deleted. Uh, We can now be found as Appetite for the Most Dangerous Band. So um, all you GNR listeners, please do um, show us your support and like the page uh, because we're trying to build it back up. and we're just at 400 likes right now, so we could really use your help. Because um, you had, it was like hundreds of thousands of likes, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It was oh. like more than 12K likes, I think. That, oh, but that's, that stuff hurts, man. Because it's, it's, again, it's not just like sharing videos. 
it's fans sharing experiences. And to have that collection, you know, over 100,000 fans in the same group sharing, and then all of a sudden it's gone, it's just, it's not right. It's not right. So, you know, I, I've tried to do whatever part that I can, being vocal when I need to be about it. Uh, but in the meantime, this podcast is here, and uh, Divya, going forward, you're always going to have a voice here. Thank you so much, Brando. And in fact, uh, the owner of the page, Mizzy, told me to say hi to you. Oh. And hi to all the fans out there. <laughs> Canadian, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Sorry? Mizzy or Mazzy? Was she? Uh, yeah, Mizzy. Mizzy. Mizzy, is she Canadian? I don't know why I'm remembering that. Yes, yes. He's uh, he's Canadian. He's Canadian. Okay. Well, Mizzy is not yeah. a, a name I'm vo- normally familiar with. I apologize. But I remember the Canadian thing. Okay. So yes. That, so there you go. Because it's just great. That's why it's so funny when, you know, trying to ask someone like Dave to remember stuff and just think about like how his experiences um, short dwarf mine. And it's just so hard for me to remember you know, everybody who I get an inbox from, a message, and I really try to remember uh, because it, you know, it, it matters for you guys to take the time out to, to inbox or write a comment to, you know, the follow, subscribe on whatever channel it is. It's just awesome. So, uh, Divi, I'm, I'm glad that you're officially now, you're a bad apple. You're, you're official. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get in the sound effect. I'm never sure when I have a guest on for the first time. If I'm going to start pressing buttons, they're going to think this is some Z morning zoo and just hang up. But I think you really helped. You really opened them up, Divya. So this interview would not have been as good without you. So thank you for, for being a part of it. That's so kind of you to say. And thank you. I can't believe whether or not this has actually happened. Thank God there will be like a recording of this to show that it's actually happened. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, you were the first person to hear it, uh, obviously, other yeah. than Dave my, my, myself. But right now I'm going to go edit it. So, um, Divya, I mean, do, uh, you're, do you want people to? Because I know you have Twitter and Facebook. Do you want people to, in addition to the, the Guns N' Roses fan site, do you? Because that was also cool. When I announced that you were going to be my co-host, the amount of listeners that I had were also your friend and supporting you. That was really awesome to see. Yeah, yeah. That's very kind of them, yeah. The yeah, but- GNR fan community has really banded together, and everyone's very kind and supportive. And, yes, thank you for taking the time to always kind of, like, reply to all of the comments and things like that. And... Um, I don't know that I can speak for the entire fan community, but I know a lot of people would agree with me. Uh, thank you so much for doing this over and above your two day jobs <laughs> and contributing so much to like the you know the information that we have about Guns N' Roses because all of these uh, kind of these tangential stories that we are getting from your podcast is kind of really kind of building up the information base that we have of the band and it's just so exciting. Well, again, thank you. Uh, when I first started this out with Scotto, um, and he will come on again in in the future. We've been talking about, you know, him just doing a random pop up with a cool guest. We'll see what happens. But I guess we didn't really know where where this was going to go, and just to see the kind of guests that we can get, and to ask them like a different kind of question with this podcast that we we've, we've built with this Guns N' Roses angle. I think we just get really unique stories and we give people an opportunity to do an interview that may they may not get anywhere else and i think that they appreciate that especially you know how many countless interviews has dave perner done over the uh, over the years so to ask him different kind of questions i note that they appreciate that 
because otherwise they're kind of in robot mode. Yes, no, okay, this. Um, so it was awesome that you did the, the research. It wasn't like, hey, what was Runaway Train about? Did you like that song? It wasn't like a cliche question. You know, we, we asked them different stuff and they get, us, uh, they, get, they get to see different sides of these people. Because we're not really seeing different sides of Guns N' Roses. We're not getting answers from them. I mean, which is, and I've said before, I love the, the mystery part of it. So I'm not saying that um, with any malice. But at the same time, it could be frustrating, especially when you're like me doing a broadcast about it. But when we're getting random people on, like Tom Green or Dave Perner, to talk about it and get these random side stories that you would, would never hear. It's it's yeah. just it's cool. It's just it's something that's very cool, and uh, to see that it is appreciated by by listeners. When you guys have so much to be, we all do have so much to be entertained by now. Not just with podcasts, Netflix, uh, you know, just all the streaming services. There's so many ways to entertain yourself now that you guys take the time out to listen is just so cool, and I definitely uh, appreciate that because. I'm like Dave. I paid my dues. I'm never going to charge, you know, for this podcast. I'm never going to be that 17-year-old girl charging hundreds of dollars for a show. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So it's, I, I bring the same um, thought uh, that, that Dave gives to his his passion. It's I, the same, I don't know, the, the, kind of the same rules. Like You mentioned passion and persistence and patience. Uh, you know, guns and roses, pun intended, I guess. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I, I totally understood what he was saying, and it made me appreciate him uh, that much more. Maybe not as much as you, Divya. I don't think I'll be a bigger fan of him than you are. But, uh, no, it, it was really cool. So thank you also for the opportunity. So thank you. Thank you, and thank you. Your you efforts and work are greatly appreciated. You got it. So that does it for episode 125 of Appetite for Distortion. Uh, I teased at the beginning of the episode some upcoming guests, uh, Carrie Kelly. Uh, we got the writers of the new Looney Tunes coming up, uh, obviously including the Axl Rose episode. I'm also going to guest on a, a Metallica podcast called Speak and Destroy. So that's going to be coming up as well. And you'll obviously know when that's out and about uh, if you follow us on social media, uh, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And obviously follow us on uh, on all our outlets, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes. Subscribe. Even if you're subscribed to one, subscribe to another. It just makes us look bigger and better, and that's how we're going to keep getting bigger and better guests. And, of course, uh, we're featuring on AlternativeNation.net uh, on the main page right there. So, Divya, unless you have some parting words, I believe that's it for us. Um, yeah, just thank you, Brando. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure and it's been an honor. You got it. So until the next time for, for me and Divya, when is the next uh, episode you're going to see in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, even though it broke Divya's heart? Uh, you'll see it. <laughs> I don't know if soon is the word, 